this is not the life I ordered. This is not Mm. the life I want. And just really sensing that all of a sudden that this was not God's plan B, that even though it was unexpected for me, that God doesn't do plan Bs. Welcome to More Than Small Talk. We're Susie Eller, Jennifer Watson, and Holly Gerth, writers and real life friends. We're inviting you to go deeper, become freer, and feel more connected. So imagine you have a cup of coffee, a mug of tea, or a green smoothie in your hand, and we're all hanging out in your favorite place together. Hey, More Than Small Talk friends. We're excited to be back with you again this week. We have another guest we can't wait for you to meet. And... Have you ever had something hard happen in your life and wondered, can life even be good again? If you have in the past, if you are now, probably at some point, if you haven't yet, you will ask that. Our guest today can help. So Susie, tell us about who's with us today. I am so excited to share a little bit about Lisa. Lisa is a widow and mom to seven amazing children. As a member of the Widow Mama Collective, a Facebook community for young widows, she helps women find hope in the hard places of loss. A popular blogger, Lisa loves seeing women flourish in the strength of God's promises. Now, Lisa, I want you to pronounce your last name because I don't want to butcher it. Apollo. Apollo. I Apollo. Would have, it's like a diet apple drink. <laughs> <laughs> I have known you for such a long time, but honestly, I don't know if I've ever said your last name out loud. And I thought I am getting ready to totally butcher this. <laughs> but what I want to say about Lisa is that she is an encourager of the hearts of women. Like I've watched her in person. She is gifted and she is warm and compassionate. And so having you on the show today with us is a really big moment and bucket list for us as well. So thank you for that. I'm happy to be here. Excited about our conversation. Yeah. So you wrote the book, Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. And Lisa, there was a moment when your world fell apart. Uh, Could you share a little bit about that with us? Sure. Um, I'm a mom of seven, as you said. So it was actually, it was actually Father's Day weekend. So in the middle of the summer, you know, the kids were doing all of their things. I was kind of the hub of the wheel. I felt like in my family, you know, kind of, they are getting people to their places and fed and, you know, clothes washed and, um, and, and raised. Um, so on a very, what I thought was a very normal Friday, I woke up to my husband's funny breathing And I wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but it woke me and I kind of reached over my hand and nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare. And I fully expected that he would turn over, we'd go back to sleep and we'd wake up to his alarm a few hours later. Um, But as I woke up more because he, he didn't turn over and his breathing woke me up, I flipped on the overhead light and I could see immediately something was just, was Mm -hmm. tragically wrong. And, you know, at that point you kind of, for me, I went into two different, it wasn't an out-of-body experience at all, but you're still operating on two different levels. There's the very practical you doing all the things, you know, calling 911 and doing CPR. And then there's the oh you that is kind of watching this and saying, I am not giving CPR to my husband. I just kissed goodnight <laughs> a few hours ago. Um, so we did that. I didn't 
get through two rounds of CPR. The paramedics were there. They took him to the hospital. And I remember just before going, following in my car, I went up to go talk to my kids. They were all awake and they were huddled together in one of their rooms. It was still dark out. They just were on the floor kneeling and just audibly crying out. And um, I wanted to say, it's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And as those words were on my lips, I realized I, I can't promise them that. And so I did the only thing I could. I prayed with them and I told them, I will be back. Went to the hospital and it was not long when a ER doctor took us into that room. You never want to go in the counseling room and said that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and they had never been able to revive him. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And could you take just a second and tell us a little bit about Dan, just what he was like? So I would love to. Thank you for that question. Um, He was my first date. He was Mm -hmm. my only date. In fact, we were really good friends until I'll tell you this little story. One day in high school, he brought a visitor to youth group and she had long blonde hair down past her waist. And word was that she had won the Miss Hawaiian Tropic Bikini Contest. So we there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, enough of this friend stuff. And I put out the word that if Danny Apollo asked me out, I would go. So he's my first date, my only date. Um, we got married in college. He was a surfer. He was a great businessman. He was an incredible dad. Yeah. Just sometimes you wonder why, Lord, you know, these solid men. Yeah. 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 So how do you even begin to breathe again after something like that? What was the first thing that helped or made you think there could be hope? How did you also give yourself permission to grieve, to say, this is not what I expected my life to be. That's so important to give ourselves permission to grieve and, you know, walking my kids through it to give them, to tell them they had permission. Cause I knew it was going to look different for all of us. I had a four-year-old all the way up to a 19 year old, and they were all going to grieve differently from each other. And then from me. So I think, you know, in giving yourself grace to grieve, what that, what that looks like is Uh, giving yourself this space, it takes an enormous amount of mental, emotional, physical, um, spiritual inner space to grieve. And so this is a season where to say no to things that you might've said yes to, to, if you get that information, thank you um, that invitation. Thank you very much. But, you know, maybe on this particular night, you don't feel, you just need to tuck in at home to give yourself that grace to process all the emotion and the massive change. I think one of the first things I did that was very helpful and it came out of desperation. It was not some huge, like, I'm going to, let me take this intentional step. It was just an act of desperation. I would get my kids up in the morning and then um, I would get away by myself in my minivan. I say, some people have a prayer closet, but I have a minivan. <laughs> and it was the only place where people couldn't, you know, knock on the door or come in or pass through my room. Um, so in the quiet there, I would just cry out to the Lord and give him all of my hard questions, all of my hard emotions. Sometimes it was audible. Sometimes it was, I would write in my journal, but it was just a place for me to just pour out the the overflow of emotion and thoughts that were just, they're too much for any person to carry, right? In in any situation like this, of any kind of shattering loss. But at the same time, and I, and I didn't know at the time that I was 
building this practice, but I would pour it out to him and then I would open the Bible. I happened to be reading through the Bible in a year. And so I just picked up, it was June. I picked up whatever it was that day. I didn't go hunt for scriptures and God would always meet me on the words of that page. And so I began this kind of daily practice of pouring out my heart to him, pouring out my despair, my, um, my fear my hopelessness, and then picking up the word and being reminded of who he is and his faithfulness. And it was enough to go back into the house and show up that day for my kids. It was not enough for the week. I had to go back the next day and do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, one thing that you said in your book is that when unthinkable loss happens, fear creeps in. So how can we start moving forward again without fear? Is, Is that even possible? It is possible. And I am so grateful for a friend who kind of gave me a key here because I, that's exactly right. That when the bottom drops out from something that we never expected to happen, it kind of opens the door to all, all these other fears. I had fears that my kids would act out in their grief. I had fear. We were one income family and that income was gone. So I had very practical fears of, you know, what our future looked like. I had fears about being able to single parent, just to so many fears for the health of my children after their dad had died young. And that fear was like a vice grip for me. It was, I was parenting out of fear. I was unable to really move forward. I realized I was getting paralyzed by it. And one day I was sitting down with coffee with a friend of mine who was, had walked through a hard place. She has a uh, very difficult diagnosis, chronic diagnosis. And she said, I know this one. And she gave me the scripture in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that says that we are to take all of our thoughts captive to the truth of Christ. And so I began to put that into practice. I mean, very practically when I had a fear, for instance, like the fear of of our income, of our finances, I would call out the lie. And I think we can do this in any fear. You, You call out the lie under that fear because there's always a lie that is driving that fear. And so for me, it was the lie was that, God wouldn't take care of us in this new situation. And then I would very practically like take it captive. I would almost imagine it lassoing it and taking it out of my thoughts and replacing it with the truth of Christ. And the truth is that God says he will supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And that was true all the years before Dan, and it was just as true now. And so I just mm-hmm. had, even though I couldn't see how that would, would happen, I just had to hang my hope on that truth. Mm-hmm. Was there a certain moment where you knew that life could actually be good again? Like, how did you get there? Because grieving is such a um, process and there's waves and layers and it's not a one and done thing. Like we grieve continually. So when did you get to that place where you're like, okay, life can be good again? Yeah, that's so true, Jennifer. And I remember early on thinking, I will never smile again. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a lie. That's one of those lies that comes up in grief Um, because our emotions are just so brutal that Mm -hmm. they are just screaming that all the good is behind us and that, that we don't have anything good in front of us. And I don't think there was one moment, like you said, it's such a process, but there was a pivotal moment and it wasn't early in my grief. It was, I'd have to go back to my journals and look, but it was, I'm sure it was in the second year, probably late in the second year of my grief, where I was just kind of in my minivan again, just you know, <laughs> having that conversation with God and thinking, this is not the life I ordered. This is not mm. the life I want. And just 
really sensing that all of a sudden that this was not God's plan B, that even though it was unexpected for me, that God doesn't do plan Bs and that I was not consigned to live out the leftovers of the life I wanted, that by definition, if God knew that this was an intentional chapter for me, then there was as much abundance here as there was in all the years before. And it didn't immediately change my feelings. I didn't get up from that and go, okay, I'm, I'm all better now, but it gave me a truth to lean into mm-hmm. and to know that that is what was ahead of me. And that if I would do the hard work of processing all of the loss, mm-hmm. that I would begin to see that life could be good again. Yeah. I like, I want to sit there just for a minute yeah. because I don't want to like pass by what you just said. You said this was not plan B. This was a second chapter. Is, is that what I'm hearing you say? Because that's, I mean, that's a completely different, that is a pivotal moment where Mm -hmm. you're suddenly seeing that, that God is still there, that the story is still ongoing of your life. That's powerful. I think so often we think, yeah, we, I, I think I remember one day my kids were all upstairs one night, actually all upstairs, the house had quieted. I had my, was wrist deep in, you know, dishwater and I, actually bubbled up to the top of my thoughts. I hate my life. Mm-hmm. And in one sense, I was glad that that, I mean, that's honesty, right? right sure. Um, but I didn't want to stay there. I didn't, I didn't want to, I, I think for so long, I thought, you know, I will get through this, but I, this is second best. Mm-hmm. And so to realize that um, that it is not God's second best that I think Elizabeth Elliot says that he doesn't give his children a stone when they ask for bread. And just to, to know that, that um, I might not feel it yet, but that there is good as much good here as there was before. And I can tell you, Susie, uh, now that I'm this far along in my grief, I can see that that's true. Yeah. I can see the joy. I can see the goodness. I have bucket lists. I wake up excited for the day. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Because there are women who are listening right now who are in all stages of loss or grief, whether that is, you know, a child, my goodness, a, a spouse, a friend, Um a dream, a dream. So, so much loss. So what is, if you could say one thing to us, to someone who is in the beginning of their grief, maybe it's the title of your book, but what is the one thing that you would want them to understand or, or at least try to hold on to? In that very beginning stage of raw, active grief mm-hmm. and loss, and you're right, it can come a lot of ways. Yeah. I think I would just assure her that um, her emotions are safe with God. Ah, so good. Um, and that they're safest with God. And that it's the, maybe the hardest work she'll ever do. You know, we can't, we don't know that. We don't know what else God has for us. But if she will do the work, if she will not try to escape it or avoid it or, you know, mask over it some way to try to feel better too quickly and like skip ahead to the good. If she will do the hard work of taking that emotion to God, laying at his feet and then trusting him that she will get to a place where she 
sees that life is good again. Okay. That's good. That's hopeful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For it sure. sounds like from some of what you shared and also knowing you're part of the Widow Mama Collective, that you were able to take some of your emotion to other people too. And that can be a challenging thing because grief, I think in general, makes us want to pull back, you know, mm-hmm. just if for no other reason, because it's exhausting. And so what did that look like for you? How did people come alongside you? And how did you let your heart even be open enough after such a big loss to say, okay, I'm not going to do this alone? That is a great question, Holly. Community is so important because on, on both sides, it's important for the person who's walking the loss because, um, you know, there were times, I'll, I'll share this with you. There was one day where I just was having a, I was having a hard day and I reached out to a friend. I texted and I just said, I need you to pray. And she, now it's going to make me tear up, but she sent me, she was um, together with some other families. They were homeschooling and they were together doing school stuff that day. And she sent me a picture, like not 10 minutes later of kids and moms on couches, on the floor, kneeling and praying for us. Wow. And, you know, there are times that you won't have the hope you need and you need to have those friends that you can reach out to and borrow their hope mm, and, let them step so good. In and pray for you. And then as a community, um, it is very hard when it's such a big heartbreak, such a big loss, and we know we can't fix it. And it can keep us on the outside thinking that our little bit is not enough. But, you know, friend of mine said, actually the same friend who prayed for us, um, said that whenever she is praying for it, whenever she sees, you know, somebody going through something, she really taught me this, that she prays for God to show her need. And then she watches for him to show it to her. So she prays for, for God to reveal need. And then she watches for that. And whatever it is, whatever he shows her a meal, any number of ways that we can, we can help somebody through a text, through cards, through a phone call, through coffee, through showing up and doing their laundry. You know, there's just so many ways. And that community is like the hands and feet of Jesus for us. It's a love note. I love that. And that's such a practical application because I think people do wonder, what do I do? Well, all of us can pause and pray, God, show me a need and I'll meet it. Like Mm -hmm. that's such a, a beautiful thing. You are such a sweet, soft person. And I I love that you're leading and approaching this topic with with so much care and tenderness. Um, I think that this is really going to be a gift for a lot of people that are just convinced that it's always going to feel painful in their life. So thank you for um, speaking so honestly and so gently about grief, because I think that that's probably the most powerful thing that I'm sensing about you. So um, tell me about how you've walked your children through some of these heartaches and what you've learned from them. It's hard as a mom because we want to fix it, right? right? And this is something we can't do. And I remember, you know, they all grieve differently. My four-year-old would say every day for over a year, she would say, just randomly in the car, we'd be driving, I miss daddy, I miss daddy. And we'd have that same conversation for over a year. And I had to really coach myself like, Lisa, 
you stay patient and you go there with her. And, you know, my 17 year old daughter wanted to talk right when I was like most exhausted at the end of the day, 1130 headed to bed. And she was like, can you talk? (laughs) And I did not do this perfectly. There were times I know that I was either so wrapped up in single parenting or overwhelmed or in my own grief that I wasn't able to show up. But I think we just show up authentically. We're all Mm -hmm. grieving together. And I think being there for your children and um, answering their hard questions, keeping the conversation open, that's a huge job as a parent to keep that conversation open. Because a lot of times, especially for my tweens and teens, they didn't always, after the first few weeks, they didn't always um, communicate or start you know, communicating what I know was on their heart. And so if, if I kept that conversation open, then it allowed them to enter into it. Um, the other thing is with kids is that they grow into their grief. Mm. So I've seen this with my kids. This is, you know, my four-year-old didn't know all, she didn't know the permanency of death and she didn't know all that a dad is. So I have watched her at like ballet recitals when other dads are handing out the bouquets and I have caught her watching them. Mm. And I can just sense that she's thinking that's what a dad does. And so, you know, my boys have grieved as they've gotten married and their dad wasn't there. At every good moment, you're also missing that one person. And so just holding space for that, whether you say something, whether I say something intentionally in those times or we all just know, you know, that he's not at the Thanksgiving table, that he's not at the Christmas celebration with us. Allowing our kids to grow into that, that grief is, is really huge. Yeah. Well, we want people to be able to get a hold of your book. And so can you tell us where you can find Life Can Be Good Again? Is this just now out? It's brand new. It is. So it's available at your local bookstore and it's available at all the online spaces. Um, you can go to lisaapolo.com. That's two P's and one L um, backslash Life Can Be Good Again and find out all the information there. Yeah. And I love, Lisa, what you just said about those moments. You still miss that person. I love that you wrote a book that doesn't say life can be all good again, (laughs) because that isn't the reality that this side of heaven, we live with joy and loss Mm -hmm. and mourning and celebrating all mixed up together all the time. And so thank you for creating a resource that is for real life. Yes. And real grief, but also for real joy. Mm. So thank you for that gift to us today of your presence and also for turning your grief into something that's going to be such a comfort to many people. Thank you for having me. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks for going deeper, becoming freer, and connecting with us. More Than Small Talk is a part of the KLRC Podcast Network and is produced by Kara Culver. Show notes and resources are available on the More Than Small Talk page on klrc.com. You can also join us in our Facebook group. Subscribe to More Than Small Talk on your favorite app so you won't ever miss an episode.